This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, July 26th, 2023. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us for the Wednesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson filling in for Rob Hart. Right now, the Fed is set to release its latest decision on interest rates in less than an hour. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors based in Denver, Colorado, and author of the book, understanding central banking. And David, we can widely assume that we'll see another quarter percent interest rate hike. I think the real question and what we're looking for are going to be the comments from Jerome Powell. Without any question, everybody's betting, including myself, on that rate hike at the meeting today. That would bring us up to a five and a quarter to five and a half percent target interest rates by the Fed. That's been it's been a long time since that rate has prevailed. I'm betting that we're still going to be looking at rates being higher longer as we look ahead to the rest of the year. Uh, There's an unusually long gap between the July policy meeting today and the policy meeting out in September. So the Fed will have a lot more evidence, but I think the Fed's going to be very cautious as it looks ahead. Um, At one point, the Fed thought the banking crisis might cause credit to be tightened enough to make up for any future rate hikes, but the banking crisis has not been as severe as expected. And also, one major point I would make is the labor market is still strong. Wage agreements in that pilot's uh, labor agreement were substantial, and we're getting big wage hikes in that UPS agreement as well. So we may be looking at sticky wage price inflation as we peer ahead. Yeah, we've seen a lot of resiliency, not only with with labor wages, but even in the housing market, all sorts of aspects here. And so, yes, the the Fed can sort of sit around at least until September and sort of have this wait and see mentality. Um, but but it will be interesting to see sort of the longer ramifications if we continue to to advance with these rate hikes. Exactly, and the good news is we're near the end. Whatever the case, whether there's still another hike in September. Uh, whatever may be the case, we're certainly closer to the end of these rate hikes than we are to the beginning. And I guess in some major sense, that's good news. Give us a timeline on on when we might have a little bit more clarity. I feel like if we're looking at this crystal ball, it's pretty foggy right now. Oh, no question. Um, We're sort of in an unprecedented period going all the way back to the pandemic. Um, 
uh, I think the Fed is just um, not sure of itself as, it, as to exactly how, how high rates are going to go. And the Fed chairman may allude to that uh, today. But one thing for sure, um, I, as I said, I think we're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. And maybe in some small way, that's good news. We can take comfort in knowing that whatever the, the resolve is, it's, it's imminent, it's coming. Thanks That's so right. much. Thanks so much for joining us, David Jones. He's chairman of DMJ Advisors based in Denver, Colorado. Coming up, we'll talk about bringing the entire family together when it comes to learning and talking about investing. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and in this segment, we're going to talk about making investments a family project. So let's get some ideas for Matt Matigan, CEO of Blue World Asset Managers here in Chicago. And Matt, uh, this is a unique concept. I like the idea of it. The question is, how do you make investments uh, tangible for for kids and for the whole family? Well, uh, I read that this has become particularly relevant for you. So from our family, (laughs) our most sincere congratulations. Uh, Yeah, to our listeners, I I have not said it on air, but yes, I uh, we are expecting our first child in uh, just over a month here. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, We um, Uh, between my wife and I, what we uh, did for our professional careers was a lot of consulting for entrepreneurs, family businesses, and the like. And one of the uh, mistakes, and and I would argue the biggest mistake that we saw over and over and over, was a failure of the matriarch or the patriarch or the family, the one who Uh, who grew the family business, who managed the business, really failed to pass the necessary skill set down to subsequent generations. And that's the old adage. It's the third generation that loses everything. Well, and you don't Uh, need to you don't need to be a business owner to pass down that knowledge either. I feel like this is something that every family can benefit from. Just having those conversations, talking about some of those skills that are at play. Absolutely. And and that was the whole point behind it, regardless of which direction our kids went. We wanted them to have those basic skill sets that apply to everybody, no matter what profession you go into, whether you're an entrepreneur or an employee, doesn't matter. The ability to build and create wealth is universal, but you have to have those skill sets. So, most of the time, we've talked about this uh, with you guys lots of times on the show. And we usually focus on, you know, do we do stocks, bonds, options, futures, cryptos, private equity, real estate? Yes, of course we do all that. But where it starts, uh, if I had my way, we would start teaching accounting in sixth grade. Uh, if we want to avoid another mortgage crisis, let's spend a little more time on compounding interest. Mm-hmm. So, I. Uh, being able to understand how to read a financial statement, being able to understand uh, your own personal tax returns, uh, understanding concepts of money, like uh, a couple of simple and seemingly obvious questions, is a billion dollars a lot of money and is $4 a lot of money? Well, if you ask us those questions, we say, we don't know, we need more information. So is a billion dollars a lot of money? Well, not if your bills are a billion and a half. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I'll argue it's less than zero by half a billion dollars. On the other hand, $4 doesn't seem like a lot of money, 
But if you've ever gone to an ATM and paid a $4 fee to take out $20, you've just paid 20% for your own money. Uh, so concepts around wealth and money and managing personal finances, uh, those are all a huge emphasis within the umbrella of our family investment club. And to the point you made a moment ago, this applies to everybody, not just entrepreneurs or business owners. Thanks so much, Matt Matigan, CEO of Blue World Asset Managers here in Chicago. You'll find Matt's blog at blueworldam.com. Up next, we'll have some tips on buying a home in this uncertain market. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There are certain fundamentals that apply to home buying regardless of the status of the market. So let's get some help from Steve Kirch, Chicago-based real estate expert. And Steve, uh, believe it or not, I, uh, we talk about how high home prices are and those mortgage rates. And uh, it's still not deterring some people from go ahead and pulling the trigger there and buying a home. So what are some tips that they need to have in their pocket? Well, that's that's right, Rachel. I guess on Fed Day, it's it's probably you know appropriate that interest rates are what's on home mm-hmm. buyers' minds uh, for the very reason that mortgage rates are again nearing seven percent. That's making affordability a problem and making mortgage pre-approval. You're getting your mortgage application pre-approved. Uh, one of the first steps you're going to have to do. Credit is tightening as well, so you're going to have to make sure that your credit score is going to be high enough to allow you to do that. All of which is to say, you know, affordability is a key here. You're going to have to know what you can afford, what your monthly budget can take. And that's going to be the first step in any home buying process. And that's before you're even looking at a home. That's just looking at your own finances, at your own situation. And before (laughs) you don't want to find the dream house and realize, oh, you know, with these interest rates, I'm not going to, it's not going to be so feasible. That's true. I mean, and and especially in this market where the inventory is so low, also because mortgage rates have jumped and a lot of folks don't want to give up their low interest rate mortgage. So you might have to act fast as you can't afford to be making a mistake financially. It also helps to know, really narrow down quite a bit what you want in a house and where you want it to be. And then what compromises you're willing to make in order to get into a house so that that, that you know when the time comes and you're looking at a limited inventory, what will work and what won't work. How much weight does something like a down payment have right now when you're looking to buy a house? That used to be just sort of the the main focus, and maybe now there's uh, other factors at play. But I'm curious, you know, is a down payment something that, that buyers need to be focused on? Yes, you're going to have to have some sort of savings, uh, substantial savings in some cases. There are programs that can benefit home buyers, first-time home buyers especially. There's the FHA mortgage loans, which allow you to put down a lot less than 20%. There are community lending programs that a lot of lenders offer. Uh, there's uh, some financing available through state and local authorities and through community partnerships, all of which, you know, if you're in an affordability crunch, those are all things that you can explore to kind of help you bring down your monthly costs. Well, and for first-time home buyers, since you mentioned it, I, I, you know, this was me s- several years ago just trying to navigate these waters, and, and you don't realize what you don't know until you're in the thick of it. And so having someone like a mortgage loan officer sort of walk you through your finances can be a real asset as well. A great team to have is, you know, a, a buyer broker 
those people will work on your behalf and still be compensated out of the proceeds of the sale and a good mortgage loan officer that can work with your uh, buyer broker and yourself. Those are key ingredients in any home purchase these days. Thanks so much for joining us, Steve Kirch, Chicago-based real estate expert. Still ahead on this Personal Finance Wednesday, we'll have some strategies to help control spending. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. We're hearing today from the interim head football coach at Northwestern University. A proposed plea deal involving President Biden's son Hunter has fallen apart. In Personal Finance Wednesday, we'll look at some ways to prevent overspending, and also on the financial front, a warning about companies claiming to be part of the artificial intelligence explosion. WBBM Business. Markets have now dipped into the red. The Dow down nine points. NASDAQ off 63. The S&P 500 down 12 points. AccuWeather says we'll see some sunshine today. Can't rule out another round of heavy thunderstorms with a high of 94 degrees. It'll fall to around 70 degrees tonight before another hot, sunny day tomorrow with a high again of 94. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues as Northwestern University's interim head football coach David Braun took to the stage during Big Ten Media Days in Indianapolis this morning. He says that he and his wife are committed to supporting the students on the Wildcat football team. Kristen and I truly believe that football is the ultimate vehicle to have a positive impact on young men. Our number one priority moving forward will be ensuring that the student-athlete experience for the young men that we coach and mentor is just that, the ultimate student-athlete experience. Northwestern football players declined to take part in the event, citing all the attention on the team's hazing scandal. President Biden's son Hunter has pleaded not guilty to two tax crimes after a plea deal with federal prosecutors unraveled during a court hearing in Delaware. This is CBS legal contributor Jessica Levinson. In my experience, plea deals, yes, they can fall apart, but when you have had both sides have such lengthy negotiations that it does surprise me. I wish I could say I expected it. I did not. Prosecutors allege the younger Biden did not pay taxes on more than one and a half million dollars of income in 2017 and 18, despite owing more than a hundred thousand dollars. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Well, the markets are now trading lower. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Art Hogan, chief market strategist at B. Riley Financial in New York. And uh, Art, I'm guessing this is a lot of investors reacting to the likely rate hike we're expecting from the Fed today. Yeah, I think we've got a combination of things going on here uh, this morning, Rachel. And, and clearly, uh, part of that is some pretty big household name companies having reported in both Microsoft and Alphabet, which is Google, 
And, uh, and you know, we're seeing a mixed bag of reactions there where Microsoft uh, didn't thrill us with their guidance but certainly beat on, on all other metrics. And Google uh, seemed to hit the ball out of the park. And both of those names have really been driving some excitement this year. But I think the other piece of the puzzle here today is that you don't tend to see much of a market move before the Fed actually delivers what is the most anticipated rate hike of the cycle here, with about 99% of people believing that they're going to raise by 25 basis points. And then we really don't get the market's reaction to that until the press conference starts at 2.30 East Coast time. So I think the market's really in a wait-and-see mode uh, before the Fed makes their big decision about rates today. Wait and see, not only for the Fed, but we're just in the this peak of earnings reports from a lot of companies. Uh, even just after today, after the close of the bell, we're expecting uh, Facebook parent company Meta, uh, Mattel's earnings. We're all expected to get those. I mean, those are some big names coming in as well. Yeah, 150 S&P 500 companies are actually reporting this week. So by the time they ring the bell on Friday, we'll have heard from more than half of the S&P 500 during the first couple of weeks of earnings season here, which should give us a pretty good handle on where we're at in terms of corporate earnings versus expectations and what guidance looks like for the second half of this year and into the first half of next year. So I think we'll have a much better view thus far. It's been much better than feared. We're still seeing about 68% of companies beat the earnings estimates and about 58 beat the revenue estimates, which in large part is a little bit better than historical averages. And the market's reaction has been pretty constructive throughout. So I think it's a another quarter of earnings reports where things are just coming in a lot better than some of those worst case scenarios that have been talked about before the season began. But I do think that there's sort of this looming question of how long this resiliency is going to last. And at what point, if any, do we start to see a potential pullback in stocks? Well, I think there's there's a real chance for that in the month of August, which historically has been um, one of the worst months for stocks on the calendar, the second worst being September. I think some of the drivers could be a Jackson Hole speech from uh, Jay Powell that uh, is as hawkish as it was last year. And remember last year, he certainly rolled markets over when he sounded uh, as hawkish as we've heard him. And I certainly think it could just be the seasonality, or it may well just be some exhaustion. Buyer's exhaustion can kick in here. We've been unidirectionally higher for most of this year and, and certainly since the Memorial Day break. But the good news is that that, uh, that move higher has really been led by some other sectors. So we're actually seeing the Russell 2000 small caps outpacing the S&P. That's good news. We're seeing some of the laggards finally catch a bid. Things like energy, financials, industrials, and healthcare are starting to catch up. So we may actually be in a healthier place in this rally. If, uh, if technology cools off a bit here, we may see some of those laggard sectors uh, playing some catch up. And historically, that's kind of how it goes, right? You have these big players carrying the brunt of the S&P, but then you start to see other companies eventually catch up. So, so we are seeing sort of a delayed reaction to, the, to those sectors, too. But, but like you said, that can maybe offer a bit of comfort moving forward. 100%. You're in a much healthier place as the market broadens out. So the first half of this year really focused on seven artificial intelligence darlings, the Magnificent Seven. And, and clearly, as as they take a pause, it, it certainly gives room for investors to look at what hasn't worked. And as that happens, you start to see the market broaden out and, and, and certainly is, is supportive of a much healthier rally here. So I think we started to see that in the month of June, certainly carrying through that in the month of July. And hopefully that's going to be the trend for the back half of this year, where other sectors that have not yet participated in this rally of 2023 start to see that participation and make things a bit more comfortable at the levels we've reached so far. That being said, Art, are there certain areas of the market that that you find attractive right now? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So three of the laggards that we really like here are uh, energy in there starting to catch a bit as the commodity is stabilized here at or about $74, $75 in WTI. Certainly like financials, and, and uh, we heard of M&A transaction yesterday. We certainly continue to see them as being undervalued at current levels post that March 10th regional bank crisis. And we like healthcare, which has really not participated this year, and, uh, and for, for a lot of good reasons, but the multiples in the healthcare sector look extremely attractive. So if you're looking for places that have not performed this year, I would say financials, I'd certainly think energy and healthcare are three real solid places to look. Thanks so much, Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist at B. Riley Financial in New York. Up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, we'll look at some ways to ensure that you're living within your means. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There are some strategies you can turn to in an effort to stay financially sound and avoid falling into a financial hole. It's particularly of use when we're talking about relationships. So let's tap the expertise of Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park. Chris, we're talking about relationships here, and I laugh because this is uh, my husband and I. One of us is a saver, the other a spender. I may or may not be the latter. And so there are some tactics that we can put in place to make sure we're not digging too deep a hole. And Rachel, you sound a lot younger than the couple I met with yesterday in their early 60s. <laughs> they wanted to work maybe another four or five years and retire, each have a pension. They've got some modest retirement savings. Unfortunately, the problem that's going to interrupt their successful retirement is the massive amount of lifestyle debt mm. that they have. And at 20 to almost 30% interest. So the other thing is their credit score is in the low 600s. So it's not like they can find many, if any, 0% credit card offers to help them even think about restructuring that debt. So the payments they're making are not even creating a big enough dent in the debt. And to make it worse, they continue to live beyond their means and spend more and increase their credit card debt. If they don't interrupt their pattern immediately, they will run out of money before they run out of life. And I've seen this time and time again. They both work hard. They feel they deserve what they buy. The truth is they simply can't afford it. They need to stop pretending. After all, when they get to retirement, their income is going to be lower. So we had a come to Jesus meeting. (laughs) I told them those five to $10,000 a year vacations need to stop. Their clothing budget was too high. They didn't need to buy a new car every five years just because the old one was paid off. And between the two of them and their two adult children still living with them, they didn't need a cleaning person. Stop eating out so much. I told them to redirect and simultaneously pay down debt and create savings. If they don't do both simultaneously, they'll never get out of this debt spiral. Well, and you don't that have to be a, you don't have to be a couple in your 60s to to learn these lessons either. I think this is ground what you're what you're describing is really just basic groundwork for for having a successful financial future. Yeah, and but sometimes you don't see it. You're so busy living life. They didn't know that they were paying 20 to 30% on their credit cards wow. until I made them sit down and do the work. So sometimes you're kind of just spinning and you don't know what's really going on. Once you stop and look like it, look at it, it's holy moly. Well, not only, I mean, you're, you you had sort of alluded to interest, but the other thing, too, is you feel like you have these small purchases. Oh, it's it's just a Starbucks on my way to work every day. That doesn't matter. No, it adds up. It adds up, and it could make a huge difference in the long run. 
Absolutely. And that's the low hanging fruit, but that's fruit you ought to attack. Definitely. You know, every time I put a pattern in front of somebody, if they're spending changes by anywhere between $350 and $500 over their lifetime, you know, you got to add inflation on the expenses, that has a huge impact on them. So if you're thinking, oh, let me just go pick up another latte, stop it. If you're in trouble anyway. (laughs) Right, right, right. Of course. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park, Illinois. She's also author of the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, beware those companies that claim to be part of the AI boom. It's 60 minutes of financial planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Artificial intelligence sits hot, and that means that companies are doing their very best to claim they're all part of the action. So let's bring in Mark Holbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington, D.C. Mark, how do I, as an investor, know that I'm not investing in, let's say, the Napster of music streaming or the Ask Jeeves of search engines because a company claims to be on top of AI? Well, I think taking a skeptical attitude out of the gate is always a good idea, regardless of whether it's AI or any other fad that captures Wall Street's attention. But there's lots of uh, telltale signs in the current instance that we are dealing with uh, at least part of a bubble, if not a a full-fledged bubble. One of them is that it turns out companies and mutual funds are able to boost the returns of their individual stocks by just changing their name to include AI in it. And this is just very reminiscent of what we saw back during the dot-com bubble, where companies that had nothing to do with the Internet were adding dot-com to their name, and, of course, their price would shoot up. And that's a telltale, that's a telltale sign that you're dealing with, uh, with a fad rather than fundamentals. So beyond, beyond the name, beyond just being able to say that you're incorporating AI, are there other telltale signs that we can look out for? Well, one of them is the universal uh, tendency of human beings to exaggerate. So when things look good, we as human beings tend to make things look really, really good, and we bid up the prices too much. Exactly the same thing occurs when things look really bad. We make uh, prices go down more, more and further than they should go as justified by the fundamentals. And we're not going to abdicate or overturn human nature just when it comes to AI. It's something that's universal, and we've seen it over and over again. And this is the basis of, uh, I guess, my fundamental approach to the markets. is It's known as contrarian analysis, which is that when there's a huge consensus in one direction, it's likely to be wrong. And in this case, it seems like it's captured that consensus has indeed captured investors' attention, and they can't get enough of AI. And of course, companies are happy to to indulge that uh, that belief. But uh, again, skepticism is probably the better watchword here. And again, just because you're incorporating AI doesn't mean you'll execute it successfully or that it's going to be profitable. It's a tool. It matters how you use it. And that's going to be something for investors to keep an eye on. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, over the last year, I've gotten a monthly email from a money management firm that says it uses AI and it picks the stocks that it says will do the best over the subsequent three to six months. And uh, I've tracked its performance and it's unexceptional. It's done okay, but there are plenty of other mutual funds and traders have done better. Thanks so much, Mark Holbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and on the Odyssey app.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.